Now we are joined by Michael Zweig. Thank you, Michael, for being with us. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you back. Michael is an economist. He's a labor historian, a union activist, and professor emeritus at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. And Michael is uh, the author of many articles and a couple of books. I'll mention two of them, The Working Class Majority, America's Best Kept Secret, and another one, What's Class Got to Do With It? Michael, tonight we asked you here to address the issues around the fight by the rail workers unions for a fair contract with the huge rail corporations. And we wonder if you could provide us with an overview and background to the demands, the rail workers demands and how the process has unfolded, concluding with this congressional action just this past week to end or settle the issue before a strike could begin. Maybe a, a, just an overview would be helpful here. Well, uh, the, the question in front of us all is the nature of the settlement and the power of the government to come in and impose one and what that means for free collective bargaining in this country. Uh, the uh, railroad railway workers are involved here only in freight. Amtrak workers and local commuter uh, rail lines were not involved, although if there had been a strike, since Amtrak runs on uh, these commercial tracks, there could have been some uh, disruption. But it really is the freight lines, uh, like uh, Union Pacific and BNSF and other major freight lines. And they have a consortium of companies that... uh, bargain on behalf of management with a consortium of unions, 12 unions, that negotiate on behalf of a workforce of, I don't know, about something like 115,000 rail workers in in the uh, freight lines. And they tried to negotiate a contract, and they couldn't get to an agreement uh, earlier this year. And um, there was a threat of a strike, and the government has the authority under the National uh, Railway Labor Act, which has its origins in 1926, when I think, or 24, when there was a major rail strike, and the government came after that and said, oh, we're not going to do that anymore, we're going to be in a position where the federal government can come in and impose a settlement. And that's what happened here. The issues that were involved, like any collective bargaining agreement, had to do with wages and working conditions. Uh, The wage settlement that the companies offered was 25% increase over five years, which is essentially 5% a year. That doesn't cover inflation, but it is something. On the other hand, when it came to working conditions, that's where the problem really was intractable. And that focused on um, time off, for, uh, sick time, and uh, time off to uh, take personal days. And the rail companies were absolutely adamant that they were not going to allow uh, sick days uh, for these workers. If they needed to take time, they would take off their vacation days, and what the workforce was demanding were 
sick days and more flexibility in their ability to uh, work or not work at any given particular day because personal emergencies arise, personal considerations. Every other contract, every other union has those kinds of sick days and personal days and days that you can take off separate from your vacation. And the rail companies absolutely refused to uh, comment that. And the reason is because the rail companies schedule their freight lines and schedule the trains on a very, very tight schedule. And that tight schedule requires the availability of a labor force to run the trains essentially on uh, on one shift's notice. If you have to show up, they're going to call you, and you have to show up. And you can't take a day. You can't say, no, I can't because I'm sick, or no, I can't because I have a doctor's appointment. And what that has to do with the intransigence of the companies is that they run these very, very tight, schedules that require a labor force to show up on demand, and that can only happen if workers don't have these uh, uh, flexible schedules. Now, the reason why management does this is because they don't want to hire more workers to have a pool of workers that are available to rotate in when other workers are sick or take days off. The companies don't want to hire more workers. And actually, employment in the rail lines has decreased by 50% since about 2010. And I think that that is the main sticking point, is, is whether the companies were going to allow their workforce some flexibility in, in their scheduling which would require the companies to hire more workforce to have available as a pool to to, uh, step in when uh, other workers take uh, some time off. So that was the sticking point in the end. Now, the National uh, Railway Labor Act authorizes Congress to impose a settlement if the parties can't agree, if it's a major contract. If it's a small item which just affects a couple hundred workers in some shop someplace, that isn't the case. But here, where it's 115,000 workers and it's the whole freight system in the, in the United States, the law allows Congress to step in and set the terms and force that agreement on the parties. And that's what happened here. And when the government stepped in. This is a a Democratic Congress, Democratic House, Democratic Senate, and a Democratic President. They refused to put in to that law, into that settlement, the sick days and the uh, flexible scheduling that the workforce wanted. On that most important question, uh, this Democratic administration came in 100% on management side. And it was an outrage for the workforce, and it's an outrage for uh, workers in general who need the support of the government, need support of their unions, and the unions have support, uh, need support from the government uh, to negotiate and to force through a strike uh, the companies to. Uh, address the issues that are of most vital concern. And what happened here was short-circuiting that and uh, big-footing that strike. And uh, that's where we are.
That's a great uh, summary for where we stand at this moment, Michael. Thank you for that. I wanted to ask you, as the national conversation has proceeded here, how you would characterize the level of the national debate around this issue, both in the media and by national political leaders. The conversation has centered almost exclusively on the problems that would have arisen had there been a strike. Because when you shut down the rail lines in this country, the freight lines, it is a major disruption to commerce. There's no doubt about it. And what President Biden was saying and what Congress was saying was we cannot have a strike. And therefore, we have to impose a settlement. So that's one question. But then there's another question is what's the nature of that settlement? that is being imposed. And why is the settlement that's being imposed by this Democratic president who's supposed to be so pro-union and pro-labor, and this Congress, who is a Democratic Congress that's supposed to be uh, there representing the interests of ordinary working people, why do they choose to avoid a strike by imposing terms that are friendly to management uh, on that most important question for the workforce? that has resulted in them in, in four of those unions that represent rail workers turning down the contract. The, the, it was offered to the workforce. And uh, f- four out of the 12 unions, including one very big one, the trainmen and the uh, engineers, they voted it down. And still it was pushed down their throat through this legislation. So those are really, when you look at the coverage, and the media, it was almost exclusively about, oh, how terrible a strike would be, and almost nothing about how terrible the settlement is that was imposed by Congress on this workforce in order to avoid the strike. Michael, this is a good time for me to insert this little bit of media medley that I called from another podcast. And I'd like us to listen to it and then maybe have you comment on it, supporting what you're saying about the media. Here we go. A rail strike is one of the most disruptive and expensive things that can happen to an economy. A rail shutdown or strike would disrupt supply chains. A strike means food prices could skyrocket. Many experts are saying would be an economic catastrophe. That could mean a big shortage and massive price hikes. Even gas prices could increase. And it also could cost the economy a billion dollars within the first week. That would cripple the economy. I'm not setting aside the concerns of your members, but are you and your members willing to stop the rail? in effect uh, and and accept those costs to the U.S. economy. Do you believe a strike is worth it if it cripples the U.S. economy and costs up to $2 billion a day? More than $2 billion per day. Is it worth it? And on top of all of that, the holidays are right around the corner. So a little less than a month right before Christmas here. Especially right before the holidays. President Biden warning if that happened... It would devastate the economy if we had a strike like that. So joining me now to talk about this and a lot more is Bank of America. It's Brian Moynihan, chairman and CEO, one of the biggest banks in the world. <laughs> Perfect. Well, the Bank of America, <laughs> the CEO of the Bank of America is here to tell us what this all means. Yeah, <clears throat> sure. That's why we need WPKN. <laughs> Thank you. And that's why we needed you here tonight. Well, Michael, it does seem like most of the onus for the potential harm to the economy that would result from the strike was 
placed on the workers and not on the railroad corporations for not giving ground on the issue of sick leave. I mean, it was, That's right. and I think that is the dominant culture, the ruling class culture in, in this country is that workers are naughty and strikes are, you know, the naughtiest thing they can do. And we've got to restrain them. And they just need to be spanked and sent into the corner when they try to do it. Well, that's the whole point of a strike, is to challenge the power of capital. But the real last resort tool that workers have, which is just to withhold their labor. <clears throat> and this the, the law allows the government to come in and, and just sweep all that private negotiation aside. And while I didn't ever fact check the $2 billion, but I don't think there's any question that a strike that would be sustained would be a very disruptive thing in the U.S. economy. That is true. But that doesn't mean that it's just the worker's responsibility. It's also management's responsibility. And it's the responsibility of both sides to come together and negotiate a contract where they can come to some agreement. And I don't think in this case that it's unreasonable for workers to say we need some some uh, sick time, some sick days. We need a flex, more flexible schedule. This is something that workers are dealing with all over the country on scheduling and uh, having some more control over the schedule. Uh, that is going on in, uh, you know, in the uh, service industries, again, where the workforce is very tightly controlled and its schedule is very tightly controlled. And uh, it's in the interests of people in general, not just the railroad workers, to be free from that kind of discipline in, uh, in their uh, work lives, in that, that straitjacket of a, of a timetable that you can't get out of. And I think that um, that is what has been swept into the corner. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, the way that the world works and the way that corporate media works. And here we are. Michael, I, in, as we wrap up here, I just wanted to ask you, what about the this downsizing that has occurred, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's called precision scheduled railroading. Right. And which, as, as you pointed out, has reduced the workforce from several decades ago, from 500,000 now down to just over 100,000 workers. How has that affected the performance of these freight rail systems to actually deliver the goods, literally and figuratively? You know, are they actually contributing to the supply chain problems that we're having, which I think in turn has an effect on the inflation that people are enduring in this country? Uh, I have not heard that the uh, supply chains are interrupted in this country because of uh, rail disruptions. <clears throat> I, I don't know that. Uh, it might be, but I have not heard that. Uh, but what we have with this precision rail is very much like uh, the just-in-time inventory system for materials. Yeah. Companies don't want to pay for storing uh, uh, inventory to have it available for disruptions in the supply chain. Well, you have some you can just take for a few days extra uh, <clears throat> material until that supply chain problem is broken up and you get the materials again. When you have that very tight, just-in-time inventory system, you also have very 
sharply threatened supply chains. And we're seeing the effect of that. In the rail industry, we have that same idea that we need to have a labor force which is just in time, ready to go to work, and we're not holding any extra workers in case there's a disruption in the ability to supply the, the workforce uh, to um, man the trains. And I think that what has happened is that the workforce has actually delivered and that the trains do run on time and the trains do get through with their cargo, but at the expense of the lives and livelihood and uh, uh, stress of the workforce that makes that happen. And that's where the, the, the problem lies. It's not that the trains don't run. It's that the workers who run the trains suffer by making the trains run. And that's what has to be addressed. <clears throat> Got it. Yeah, and I think that uh, there are a lot of data to indicate that there are increased injuries and illnesses because of the stressful schedule. The fact, in some cases, they have to work well beyond an eight-hour day to, to satisfy the precision scheduled system that they're on. And as you point out, they can't take a day off for sickness, or maybe they have to reschedule things or the missing events with their family things of that sort. So I'm not sure if, if you have any information on that issue. Well, it's it's the old story that when you're not in control of your life and you're not controlling your schedule and you've got somebody else telling you what to do there at every minute and you never know when you're going to get called back, it's stressful. And that stress is dangerous to health. And I, um, and I think that's what these rail workers are trying to address and trying to alleviate that stress, and the management isn't having it, and Congress isn't going to help them. What do you think the ramifications, the political ramifications of this abdication of the uh, most friendly labor president in history will have on the political uh, landscape going forward for Democrats? Yeah, it's really hard to know. You know, the... Uh, air traffic controllers that Reagan famously destroyed their union in March uh, 1981, the air traffic controllers union supported Reagan in the election. Hmm. They they got their members out to vote for him, and their members did vote for him. Hmm. And the result was that Reagan destroyed their union. Now, I don't know what happened to those air traffic controllers who got fired, those 11,000, whether they voted for Reagan again in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I, I sort of doubt it, but I don't know what's going to happen here. Hmm. I don't, uh, and, of course, these, this affects a whole lot more workers. The, the air traffic controllers was 11,000. This is 115,000. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have two, two years to go. There's not going to be another contract negotiated in that two years. This is a five-year contract that's being imposed. So it's going to be still in people's minds. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. All right. We will do indeed. Michael Zweig, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's always a pleasure to share rhetoric and wisdom with you. I appreciate it very much. Well, thanks a lot, and I appreciate the opportunity. All right. We'll be back with you soon, I hope. Take good care. I hope so. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. That's Michael Zweig. He's an economist, a 
labor historian, activist, and professor emeritus at the State University of New York in Stony Brook. Joining us here to talk about the rail workers settlement, quote unquote, imposed by Congress and uh, probably churning up a lot of anger and militancy in the rail workers unions at this time.